Welcome to the Woodshop Live podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen of the Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Doing well, man. And Guy Dunlap of the one and only Guy's Woodshop. Da-da-da-da. Hey, so uh, Hui is actually not of the Alabama Woodworker. He is <laughs> the Alabama Woodworker. Oh, this it's never kind of like the Ohio State University. University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already <laughs> modifying my script for next time. You better get it right. The <laughs> Alabama woodworker. <laughs> the Georgia woodchuck. <laughs> Boom. Got it updated for next time. All right. Sorry. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. We want to welcome the new patrons this episode. We have Jason Bent, Haven Woodcrafts, and Ryan Garner. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you would like to show your support. And stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear what we have going on in our own shops. But with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what is your first question? All right. This question is from Chad, and he asks, love the podcast. Thanks for everything that you guys put into it. I recently resawed some five-quarter walnut about 32 inches long for some drawer faces on shop furniture. My plan was to resaw this and then glue up a panel to have continuous grain down the three drawers. The walnut had been in my shop for a few months. And I got it from a reliable source, so I was pretty comfortable with the moisture, although I don't have a moisture meter. I had milled a face and an edge, but as I was resawing it, the piece bowed significantly to the point that they would require another round of milling, and getting three-eighths to a half-inch final thickness was not possible. Did I do something wrong, or is that to be expected when resawing something to that thickness? So I'll say three things about this issue. First, uh, wood moves. Uh, second, wood moves. Uh, <laughs> and, and third, wood moves. Uh, so it, this could be a result of a couple things. Your board likely had like a significant amount of internal stresses. This has happened to me before when I've been resawing uh, on the bandsaw where I've gotten the same thing that you've gotten, Chad, which is, which is some bowing or cupping or even, uh, even a little bit of twist. Uh, my guess is that you probably want to start with something a little thicker, maybe six quarter. Uh, you might even go eight quarter just so that you don't, so that you have a little bit of meat after you resaw to go ahead and uh, remill after uh, it's sort of relaxed a little bit in your shop after you've done that resawing. Um, it sounds like you did what I would have probably done, which is, you know, joint one face, joint one edge, and then go to the bandsaw. But again, because of probably those internal stresses that you've got in in that board uh, through the drying process, it's just going to happen. And I think the best thing for you to do is next time, maybe go with a thicker material. Now, Sean, I know you've got just gotten a new bandsaw. So, you know, I'd like to hear how you would have alleviated this problem or possibly avoided the problem altogether. You know, is there something that he could have done that I didn't mention? Or is that's, you know, that's kind of just the nature of the beast. Well, I did get a new bandsaw, but I'd have to have a, <laughs> a joiner to be able to mill the lumber. No, you're right. I would start thicker uh, unless mm. you're absolutely sure that the lumber is, isn't going to uh, to warp pretty bad like this. If you know the lumber that you have on hand, you could probably start with a little bit thinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but if when it comes to show pieces like this, I often start thicker, split it down the middle, let it set, and you'll get a feel for what the lumber is going to do before you take it down to the final thickness. Yeah, um, It's wasteful, but... What at the end? What's what's going to waste more scrap? Have five quarter that you split in half that you can't use, or go a little bit thicker with eight quarter, perhaps, right. and know that you're going to be able to get to your final thickness, and it's going to be uh, flat. Is what I would recommend. Chad is saying he's he received some five quarter walnut. He's not saying if that's rough or you know skip planed already. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. Let's just assume it's five quarter walnut the way I buy it because everybody should buy lumber the way I buy it. And <laughs> it's, it's, um, rough sawn. Yeah. Which means it's still got like bark and crud on it. I mean, it's, it's rough sawn. It's doesn't have any smooth sides. There's, it's not straight line ripped. It's nothing. Yeah. Right. If I had four, five quarter walnut and I was trying to get 
a half inch final thickness out of it, there's no way. Yeah, that's five quarter wall that would work. Yeah, yeah, it's too close. Get six quarter or above. Yeah. Getting three ace, yeah, you might be able to do that on a five quarter. I can see that pretty easy. But getting half inch is really cutting it tight. The thing is, you know, regardless of the thickness of the wood, it's going to be wetter in the middle than it is to the outside. Mm -hmm. So when you cut the piece of wood, you know, down the middle, let's say it's five quarter, six quarter, eight quarter. I really don't care how thick it is. Right. You're releasing more moisture in the middle and it's going to bow. You know, that's just, if anybody here listening has ever resawn anything, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Stuff is going to bow on you. Right. It's just the nature of the beast. And I wish I had a better answer for you than that, Chad, but it is. That's that's the truth. If you're going for a half inch, I know I do quite a bit of drawer stock, and I usually make that out of maple or poplar, and I usually get six quarter. Right, and then you resaw it, yeah. Yeah, and I resaw it to get half inch thickness. Mm -hmm. That's and what, what what you guys both said is the exact same thing. You know, start out with thicker stock if you want a thicker final thickness, but it really has to do with releasing that moisture in the middle, mm -hmm. and it's gonna it's gonna cause the wood to to bend. He really also isn't telling us how wide the board is. That has yeah. a lot to do with it. it does. So if I'm if I'm resawing some material for some drawer sides, and the drawer sides are only three and a half inches. You know, I'm I'm not going to try to resaw seven inches just because I think I'm a stud. I'm going to resaw three and a half inches because it's easier. Right, right. And it's not going to bow as much mm -hmm. at that mm -hmm. point. So it really depends on what you're doing with the wood. But uh, so if know. he had say like a seven inch wide board that he wanted to make three inch wide drawer drawer stock out of, then he'd probably you would probably suggest to, for him to rip it down to whatever three yeah. and a half inches first, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how, so if you, you know, you guys have resawn quite a yep. bit, mm -hmm. you know, let's say you have a four inch board versus an eight inch board, which you think is going to have a bigger chance of warping. Yeah. The bowling. eight inch, of course. The of eight course. inch one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's another thing to consider. So I hope that helps Chad. I think it did. I, I don't think know. I really answered any questions. <laughs> Start thicker. Wood moves. That's what I picked up from it. Yeah. And guy. Let's keep you talking. You got the next one. I got the next one. I've got two questions lined up, so I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do first. I'm going to do this one first. This is from Brian Bingham, and Brian says, First off, just wanted to say I love the show. You're all talented, experienced workers, wow. except for Guy, but all <laughs> offer different viewpoints on how you like to get things done. Well, that was kind of nasty, Brian. I'm surprised <laughs> I picked this question. Anyways, he didn't say that about me. <laughs> Anyways, my question is about table saw upgrades. I've got a rigid R4512 table saw. I've had uh, a rigid R4512 table saw for about two years now. I enjoy it, but I'm wondering about upgrades. I'm specifically thinking about dust collection and the fence. I know I want to get a zero clearance fence, I don't know what a zero clearance fence is. I think, I think he might mean throat. Throat, throat insert. Yeah. 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 Also wondering about overarm dust collection. Would it be worth it for the saw? Any aftermarket overarm setups you guys would recommend or have any experience with? The other upgrade I've considered is a fence. I found that at times I feel the mm -hmm. fence on the saw might be a little inaccurate and it doesn't have a lot of adjustments. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any of the aftermarket fence systems would be good for the saw? Any recommendations? Or would you recommend possibly saving money to just get a better saw in the future if you felt like the upgrades weren't worth making it to the saw? Hmm. Thanks for the time. And again, love the show, Brian. So there's two parts to this question. First of all is the overarm dust collection. And the second part is the fence. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk about the fence. And I want to talk about the table saw. Uh, he's got a rigid R4512. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that have that saw and have had that saw. Yep. And you know what? I've only heard good things about it. I know Matt Cremona for years. That's all he used. Yep. Yep. 
was an R4512. I know today it's still a bunch of people that have it. And I've looked at that saw and it seems like a pretty decent saw. For a contractor saw, yeah. It's almost like a, a hybrid saw. Yep. Yeah. Because the, 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 the motor isn't hanging off the back of it. Anyways, uh, would I upgrade? It really depends on maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned this last podcast. I love new toys. I love new tools. I mm-hmm. love all that stuff. And we always say this too. Uh, we sound like a broken record, which is, you know, what are you making? I think the question of upgrading the 4512 to a new table saw, I think I'm going to leave that one alone because I don't know if it's worth it for you. I'm going to tackle the question of the aftermarket fence system. And that's mainly because I use an aftermarket fence system, which is Incra. I know neither one of you guys have that. I have it and I absolutely love it. If you're looking for an aftermarket fence system, you really can't do much better than that. It's very accurate. It's highly adjustable. It's expensive. It's probably almost as much as the table saw. However, if you upgrade your saw, you can move the fence to the new saw. Right. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I would agree with you that I think that saw seems like a really good saw. I've heard nothing but good things about it. And if out of anything, I would actually say that the aftermarket fence is probably going to be his best bet in terms of upgrading accuracy and getting repeatable, highly adjustable cuts to to minute adjustments. I mean, that's what Incra is known for is just repeatability in those minute adjustments. Yeah, but there's other there's other aftermarket fences out there. I think Vega still makes one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, can you get a Beesmeyer fence? A well, is Vega not a Beesmeyer fence? I thought Vega was. No. No, no. The Beesmeyer is like the T-style fence. It's like if you bought like a brand new saw stopper, Powermatic. It's a T-style fence, right? Or the Grizzlies. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the same thing. I don't know of any aftermarket Beesmeyer fence other than. I mean, I wonder if whether or not he can outfit, say, like a Grizzly or another um, brand's Beesmeyer fence to his R forty-five twelve. What I do know is that the Incra will fit onto a forty-five twelve because I've seen people have that. Yeah. And, and just like, I mean, again, I don't mean to be, you know, just simply agreeing with you, but I think that's probably the best option because now he's got a fence system that regardless if, if five years down the line, he wants to go to a cabinet saw, it's going to be an easy transition with that fence system. It's not going to be something that is only going to be good for the 4512. It can transition into a good fence for another saw. Well, what about the over, what about the overarm dust collection? Because both you guys have saw stops. Mm-hmm. which I'm not going to comment on. <laughs> Both of you guys have saw stops. I agree about have- the fence, by the way. Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Sean. <laughs> but, uh, but as far as like the overarm dust collection, you know, the saw stop has that special little hood on the, 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 the guard that you can hook up a, a vac hose to. Do you, either, either you guys use that? Yes. I used to use it. I don't use it as much anymore because I think I'm just too lazy to hook it up. <laughs> I use it. I would prefer to have a smaller shop vac style because what is it? The high vo- high pressure, low volume mm-hmm. and would do a better job. Uh, I just find that with the, my dust collection, it doesn't, it, there's not a lot of suction at the, uh, at the shroud or at the, the mm-hmm. blade guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would prefer to have some sort of smaller shop vac set up there for dedicated for that. Um, but you know, it's just like every other, uh, over, overblade dust collection if you if you've got wood on both sides of the blade it's going to get a, a good majority of the dust if you leave one side open it's going to just still spit stuff everywhere now um, on, on your old saw your craftsman didn't you have an aftermarket i did dust collection set? What, 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 what was that uh i forgot the brand but it was i'm surprised i remembered that <laughs> yeah i did yeah, too. i don't I remember even... what i had for breakfast this morning but i remember what i remember you had that on that saw <laughs> yeah it was an aftermarket that I mean, it was okay. I think the the one that I have on the saw stop is a little bit better, uh, but it's been so long since I've had that. Just because it was a wide open area that probably had two inches on either side of the blade, and um, it, I don't know. Again, it probably would have worked better if I had something with more more pressure at the source. But 
the the one that I got for the the saw stop I think works pretty well. But you're not going to be able obviously to get that. You're going to have to use some aftermarket uh, a system like that. So I don't know. Um, it's better than nothing. Here's 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 a question I'm going to throw out there. So he's got a rigid forty five twelve in with a serviceable fence. I mean, it's not junk. Like I said people. I know a lot of people have very good success with that thing. Instead of spending five hundred and on Ancra, which is hard for me to say because I I am sponsored by Ancra, as some of you may know or not know, either way. It's an expensive piece of equipment. It's almost as much as the saw. Right. So if he's thinking about upgrading, here's the question. So he's thinking about upgrading and he's not particularly happy with this fence is what it sounds like. There's a couple manufacturers out there like Grizzly, Mm-hmm. As well, yep. specifically Grizzly, where you can buy a really good table saw for eight, nine hundred bucks that'll yep. have a T style fence mm-hmm. and have a better blade guard that may have. I'd have to look at their website to see if they have anything with dust collection on it. But it's they definitely going to have better dust collection below right. than the 4512 will. And you'll get a T style fence, which is a good purchase. So yeah. what do you guys think of that? I would rather do that if it were me. I'd rather sell the table saw, save my 500 for that, plus probably another 450 for a an aftermarket dust collection and uh, upgrade table saws. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because these, or would you recommend possibly saving money to just get a better saw in the future if you felt like the upgrades weren't worth making? So he's already, Brian's already questioning that. So without mm-hmm. a doubt, if this is something you're going to do long-term woodworking, and you like tools, and then I would recommend yeah. that. That's what I would do. Without my a doubt. my my big recommendation for all this would just be a buy a Powermatic PM two thousand with a five horsepower motor, and get an Incra aftermarket fence, and you'll be just like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all will be right with the world. All will be right with the world. There you go. So uh, I think Sean, you have the next question. Yeah, this one's from Scott. Still loving the show. I like how that, that's a good opener. Still loving the show. Still loving it. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I wrote in once before and you sold me on shellac finish for small boxes and you made me a believer. I do have a new question. I'm building a dresser for my daughter and I'm not sure how to finish the job. The main carcass and drawers are mostly plywood with oak edge banding. I made the base out of oak and the drawer fronts would be out of oak, which I plan to stain to let the grain show through. Do you guys normally finish the inside of the drawers in a dresser? If so, what do you use? Also, I was going to paint the carcass. It's plywood. Don't freak out. So I'm wondering if you have any tips on how to get the perfectly painted finish on the carcass. I don't have a sprayer and the budget is tight, so I won't be buying a Fuji anytime soon. But any other tips are much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are now a shellac believer. Um, Mm -hmm. Perfect for small boxes. But uh, for the drawers on the casework like your dresser, I mean, I typically wouldn't finish them. Uh, the only items that are going in these drawers are closed, and I'm not sure how much protection you uh, you really need against soft material like that. I'm sure there's, um, it, it, in my opinion, every dresser that I've ever purchased and looked at, uh, the drawers are not finished. So, and I've never finished them. So that's that's going to be my vote on that is to no finish at all. And before I move on to the other part of the question, do you guys finish your drawers for? Uh, for carcasses and for cabinetry like dressers and stuff? No. All right. We got yes. two no's. And no. Oh, of course. Let's hear the <laughs> yes. If I do, if I do put finish on the inside of a drawer, I will I will not use any solvent based finish except for shellac. The stinkiness. Yeah, because it stinks. You don't want to use oil, you don't want to mm-hmm. use lacquer because all that stuff stinks and shellac it off gases in 20 less than 24 hours sometimes in 15 minutes yep. depending on the cut you use and it it will give you some protection but you guys are right it really like for a kitchen drawer yes i finish it mm-hmm. but yep. for like uh chest of drawers that you're putting clothes in and sean like you said it's not you know your sweater is going to damage the side of the drawer. I don't think so. <laughs> so there's no, you don't put finish on it. Yeah. It really depends on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Now I do take the time to properly 
uh, finished sand, the drawers round mm-hmm. over the edges and all that stuff. But oh, sure, no, yeah, yeah. none of that. So now let's move on and talk about the any tips on getting the perfectly painted finish. Now, I'm not huge on painting, but I do have a few things that I might be able to offer. And I'm hoping that uh, Guy and Hui can fill in the huge gaps in my knowledge because I don't do a whole lot of, uh, of painting, especially by hand. So first, I would choose the right brush for the paint and make sure that the brush is of decent quality. I'm a huge proponent of paying good money for a brush that will last you for a very long time. If you clean the brush and take care of it, I don't see why you couldn't use it pretty much for the rest of your woodworking career. Um, obviously, if you get a cheap brush, you're going to lose the bristles. You're going to, it's just mm-hmm. going to be a low quality experience, in my opinion. Uh, if you're going to be painting larger surfaces, you know, try a good quality roller and the roller cover in the tight and tight areas. Uh, you can use the brush, obviously, to get. Uh, you know, don't apply the paint too thick, just like any finish, multiple thinner coats will produce great results. Yep. And finally, the final tip that I have, which I know there's a lot to be filled in here is sand in between the coats of paint and remove the dust before applying the next coat. But again, I don't do a whole lot of, uh, of hand painting, but these are what I would follow for, you know, a good quality painted finish. I wouldn't call it perfect. Not with what I've said, but it's to get you a good start. Now, if we didn't, you paint something here recently by hand. Did you have any mm-hmm. tips that you want to throw in here? Yeah, um, I used a, a good a good primer, like not something that's like super expensive, but a stain blocking primer, uh, something that's not too thick, because the thicker it is, then obviously, you know, you're going to be if you've got cabinet drawers or things like that, and it can interfere with your finish. Um, but yeah, good quality uh, primer. I used bin one, two, three. I think that's what it's called. And I think that's put out by Zinser. It was great primer, water base, uh, easy to clean. And absolutely, when I when I painted my uh, linen cabinet, I, I remembered what you said about getting a good brush. And I've always had mediocre brushes and I got a really nice brush. I'm so happy I did. And I can definitely see m- myself using that brush for a very, very long time because it cleaned up so well. No, uh, no stray you know, bristles coming out, anything like that. It was a great brush. So just like Sean said, get a good brush. Yep. How about you, Guy? Any 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 tips that you can give him? Not that you guys haven't given already. If, if I'm gonna do a, a, a larger piece, I'm mm-hmm. gonna use a I'm gonna use a roller. Yeah. I feel if I feel the finish flattens better than I can get with the brush. And unfortunately, I've never had a good brush, so I don't know the joy of owning a good brush. Maybe someday. You. Maybe <laughs> someday. That sounds like a good idea, maybe on a small piece, but you got a big piece, man. Now, using a, a brush to do a side of a, a dresser that may be 24 inches deep by 30 inches high, that's a lot of area to be painting with a brush. And that's why I always use the roller. You know, and maybe yeah. I'm wrong in doing it that way. I don't no. know. I, I have so. tried using a foam roller and using the pigmented uh, water-based polyurethane. How is that? Really good. The thing with the thing with water-based poly is it flattens really well. You guys have used water-based poly. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really flattens well. And if you put it on with the foam roller as they don't use a brush, use foam, it works really well. And I've done that on a couple projects and they came out almost looking almost as good as if I sprayed them. It sands easy. It dries quickly. That may be an option for you. If I'm using latex paint, I'm typically using a roller and not like a big, huge, you know, nine or 10 inch, whatever the hell I wrote, the little small ones, the little four inch wide ones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, one of those things where I have more control over it. I've never used a foam roller. I'll have to... Well, oh, for yeah. the for the polyurethane, right? I right, wouldn't right. use the foam roller for latex paint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I applied water poly on a cabinet that was huge. It was like almost a five by five cabinet, and man, it does a really really good job of applying uh, water based poly on large surfaces using a foam roller. Really okay. really smooth. Great and job. Listen, now they have now you can get it pigmented from General Finishes. Wow. So they have like, they have white. So if you want white, you're golden. <laughs> <laughs> they may have other colors. I don't know. 
I'm pretty sure Sherwin Williams has like something that's pretty close to equivalent to that or um, that you can get tinted as well. Is that their? Yeah, like their Chem Aqua or Chem Aqua Plus. It's, it's I guess, water-based lacquer. Yeah, that's water-based lacquer. That's And that's got to be sprayed. Yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. That's, that's got to be sprayed. Mm-hmm. The only thing about Sherwin-Williams, and I'm not going to diss Sherwin-Williams, but to get some of that stuff, you've got to go to their pro stores. Right. You can't right. go to their consumer stores. Mm-hmm. And now I will diss Sherwin-Williams. They treat you like dirt there at the pro stores. Mm-hmm. I've never had a good experience with them. So I don't go there anymore. And I know other people that have felt the same way. I have a pro store that's really close to where I live. And so I, I, I visit them quite often. Um, yeah, and they, in they, Alabama. Everybody's nice in Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You may want to ask your local Sherwin-Williams store. Mine said they could get some things uh, shipped to my local store. Not everything, but some. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott. I hope that helps. Uh, Hui, what do you have for us next? <clears throat> All right, so this question is from Dave, and he writes, I am using a a three-eighths inch diameter upcut spiral bit with a half-inch diameter shank from Whiteside to make a one and an eighth inch deep mortise in some cherry. Whiteside says the bit is good for one and a quarter inch deep. I'm using the bit on a Porter Cable 690LR fixed router base. Uh, My question, how deep a cut is recommended per pass? Is there any criteria out there for depth of cut? So before I go into either a rule of thumb or criteria for depth of cut for passes on with the router, I'd like to talk very briefly about why you might want to take multiple passes. If you take too large of a bite with a router bit, you'll rapidly heat up the bit and essentially you're going to destroy the temper of the router bit. And this causes it to go dull faster and possibly even break. Uh, Now, Dave is using a half-inch shank, which is going to dissipate the heat more rapidly than like a quarter-inch bit. He's using a half-inch bit, so that's probably what I would have done as well. I generally go for about an eighth of an inch deep pass for anything a half an inch or bigger. Uh, I might go a quarter of an inch deep pass for maybe a three-eighths inch diameter bit, which he's talking about. Uh, This is definitely not like a general rule that I follow or any specific criteria, but just rather something that I've done and it works for me and I've gotten clean cuts and I've not, you know, blown out or blued my, my bit from it getting overheated. It doesn't really take long to make the pass and resetting the bit to the next depth again to make that next pass. It really doesn't take that long. So you might think that that's a lot of passes, but you know, once you get into the rhythm of it, it's really not that bad. And like I said, you're going to get a much cleaner cut um, because you're going to get proper chip ejection and all that stuff. Uh, Sean, do you follow like any specific general rule or, you know, do you have anything else that you can offer insight wise to help out Dave? Well, I mean, I typically follow, your depth of cut is half the diameter of your bit. That's just me. It hmm. could take you a whole lot longer, but that's what I do. So especially on smaller bits and using the CNC, I'll uh, follow that rule. So if it's a half inch bit, I'll do a quarter inch. Now mm-hmm. that's just me. I know a lot of people go the diameter of the bit uh, as mm-hmm. far as depth up to a certain you know diameter, of course. But uh, right. I try to follow half the diameter of the bit on the depth of cut. Good rule. I can see that. I get it. How about you, Guy? You you follow any general criteria or are you kind of a, a feel thing or what? I'm of the opinion, <laughs> this is my <laughs> opinion, that, and Sean said it, I, I won't cut deeper than the width of the bit. Okay. So a three-eighths inch diameter upcut spiral bit, I would not cut anything deeper than three-eighths of an inch per pass. Mm-hmm. That being said, I never really cut more than a quarter inch deep at a time, regardless of the bit size. Mm -hmm. And I think that has just to do with more chip ejection. I don't want to get the, I don't want to get a bunch of uh, schmutz in there that's causing problems for the router bit to Mm -hmm. get rid of effectively. That's going to cause more friction and overheat the bit. That's interesting. You said that the half inch diameter shank is going to help dissipate heat. I've never heard. I've never heard that before, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
3-eighths inch diameter upcut spiral bit. That sounds like it's one of the, I don't know if that's a solid carbide or not, but it's got a half inch shank. That's yeah, probably solid carbide. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's going to have really good chippy ejection. Right. And with cherry, I would probably might go 3-eighths of an inch diameter if mm-hmm. I was trying to do that and like, ash or hickory or hard maple absolutely not but mm-hmm. cherry you might be able to get so i guess what i'm saying is that the hardness of the wood might make a difference too that's a very sure. good point very yep. good point mm-hmm. like i said with cherry i might try three of an inch and just see if it works uh you're cutting some pretty deep mortises so yeah. doing eighty thousand passes to get there might take a while <laughs> take a while yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't do three eighths on something like Jatoba. That stuff is like a yeah. rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got some yeah. and I've been, whew, it's taking forever to use. So, something that he didn't ask about, but I, I think might be of relevance is maybe the speed at which you actually move the router itself. I'm thinking like if you're going really slow, particularly with cherry, you might get a lot of burning if you're sort of moving uh, the the router itself a little bit too slow. Yeah, but if you're using the upcut spiral bit, the chips mm-hmm. are going to be ejected. Yeah, for the most yeah. part. Right. And right. I think if you either had good dust, if you didn't have good dust clutch, that stuff's going to come shooting off the top. Yeah, true. So. It is, and plus, as far as burning, um, these are mortises. I wouldn't be too concerned yeah. about the the presentation mm-hmm. as long as it's got good chip evacuation. Well, the yeah. burning, if you if you burn the carbide on your bit, it, it, it like, uh, I can't remember who said it, it's going to ruin the temper of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not temper like it's going to have a temper tantrum and be <laughs> mad at you. But it's 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 not, the, the, the material is going to be crapified. It just won't work. <laughs> it won't work the way it should work anymore. I don't know what the definition of that is, so I'm yeah. not going to attempt to do it. I, I, know, I know what it means, but I don't right. know the actual definition of it. Right. So right. I'll just use it in context, which is <laughs> it's it's going to be crapified. It's not going to cut right anymore. So yeah. you don't want to burn your bit. But it sounds like it, you know a spiral upcut bit to me sounds like a solid carbide bit, mm-hmm. yeah. and it should. And you know it matters if whether it's a two flute or a three flute, mm-hmm. but it's a white side bit, so it's probably a three flute. Yeah, and if it's a white side bit. Is it Astra coated? Sean getting his bits and bits in there. Yeah. Um, Have to slide that in there. (laughs) People from bits, bits are out there listening to this podcast. Please let us know. And let, and also guy needs bits. It is bits (laughs) and bits company. It is bits bits and bits. bits. Okay. Okay. And now, yeah, it is bits and bits and now Festool (laughs) because they sell Festool stuff. I saw that. I saw Jay stump into some of that stuff. So, all right, guy, uh, you've got the next question, man. All right, so you've taken over now, Hui. I thought yep. it was Sean's turn to mm-hmm. have this podcast. He's off. he's snoozing. I, I tell you, Hui, <laughs> Hui is just taking it, taking it. I tell you, he's, by the, we're going to have to take him down a notch. I think Sean crack the whip, or, on or we can make him the dedicated show host. That way, we don't have that, to do it anymore. Let's not do that. Let's not. No, do I don't want to do that either. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. Uh, All right. So this question is from Ben. It says, hey, guys, question on horsepower for table saws. I'm slowly moving towards upgrading my table saw. I won't mention the brand so guy won't have a reason to make fun of me. But let's just say I'm looking forward to not dying. What does that mean? I'll figure that out later. I currently have a 1.5 horsepower older Delta Delta contractor saw. My question to you is what horsepower are your saws? And if there is a major difference between 1.5 and 3 horsepower, I don't work uh, with a ton of eight quarter bigger stocks, so I wouldn't be putting thick stuff through. Thanks for any insight, Ben. Here's where I am with this, Ben. Right now, I have a 5-horsepower, 220-volt motor on mine. I originally started out with an old Craftsman contractor saw that I had for 20-plus years. That was They said it was 3-horsepower. It wasn't. 
It was a 110, 1.5 horsepower saw, similar to what you have. And it did work fine for even eight quarter stock. Sometimes with like if I got eight quarter maple, it stressed a little bit. But if I was ripping stuff, I would typically, you know, then I would change blades with that saw. I had dedicated ripping blades and cross cut blades. I didn't have a combination blade. Uh, I did upgrade to a Forest Woodworker 2, I think in 98, maybe. So that was only a couple years ago. No. What year is it, what year is it now? <laughs> Guy, that's, that's not. 2007. <laughs> oh, it's 2007. So that was only 10 years ago. Um, that made a difference too. Difference, and then when I upgraded to a, I upgraded to a three horsepower saw. I upgraded to a three horsepower, two forty volt Steel City saw, mm-hmm. and I saw a huge difference mm-hmm. in the amount of power. Mainly when you're dealing with the thicker stock, it was a difference between worrying about the saw bogging down and not bogging down anymore. I mean, it just tore it up. Then when I got the five horsepower Powermatic, it doesn't hiccup. It doesn't do anything. I can throw anything at it, and it just it goes. It goes back to a question we talked we or an answer we talked about before, which was you know what are you doing with it? If you're doing if you're not doing a ton with eight quarter or bigger stock, you don't definitely don't need a five horsepower. Right. And if you're going to upgrade to a cabinet saw from a contractor saw, most of those are going to be three horsepower units. Right. You know, right. so I think, I think it'll be fine with a three horsepower. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? With a, absolutely with a three. Yeah. Yeah. He would be yeah. fine with, I mean, we and I were able to use a three just fine. We're not special and have a five, <laughs> but we can get along with just fine with three. Um, you know what I like? You know what I like about the five horsepower? What's that? It's two more horsepower than the three. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. Something fair, you know, I, when when they came into the uh, him asking this question, my question to you is: What horsepower are your saw? And if there's a major difference between one point five and three, mm-hmm. I was so expecting him to say. Yeah, three is double of 1.5, but he didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference between the 1.5 and the three. I don't think there's much of a difference yeah. between the three and the five. I think that, you know, can you use a one and a half? Absolutely. You can. Yeah. Um, you know, there are plenty of people. There's uh, Paul Jenkins from The Wood Knight. He uses his one and a half horsepower on way, way harder woods than we have here. Just fine. Just going to run a little bit slower. And if you have to, use a thin curved blade. If you have the money, if you have the power. He's but, got the contractor's saw stop, correct? That is correct. Okay. Yep. If you have the money and you have the 220, my recommendation is three. If you can't swing it, you can get along with 1.5. Just got to run a little bit slower um, and maybe potentially have to get a thin curved blade. That's my feelings on the matter. I've run with one and a half and I've run with three. And it's not like I couldn't cut thick eight quarter lumber with the one and a half. I just had to run slower. Could potentially yeah. have a little bit more burning, um, yeah. but you can you can do it. Sorry to sound like a motivational speech. <laughs> no, I've got nothing else to add. I mean, right now he's running in a one and a half. So I mean, if he's going to upgrade, then you know why not go with a three horsepower? You know, if the funds if the funds you know allow for that, I, I would go for a three horsepower. Yeah. If you're going to go from a, a contractor saw and you're going to upgrade, I wouldn't, you know, myself, I don't think I'd upgrade to another contractor saw just for the technology of the saw stop. I'd go with the, 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 the cabinet style saw, like the, the PCS or even a Powermatic PM1000. Yeah. yeah. But no, that so, isn't available on a three horsepower. So I shouldn't talk about it. I think uh, you're looking at about a $1,300 difference. Don't really? quote me on that exactly. So you're looking at about two thousand for the saw stop ten inch contractor, one point seven five horsepower. <laughs> by the way, not one point five. So um, versus thirty two ninety nine for a three horsepower thirty six inch uh, saw stop PCS. Yeah, but what about the one point seven five PCS twenty eight sixty nine? So you're looking at about if my math is correct, about four hundred and 
$30 less. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd go, I'd go with the three horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're going to go, if you're looking between 2869 and 3299, do the 3299 and get the three horsepower saw stop. In my opinion, while it is a big decision to me, it's an easy decision. This isn't like a router. Okay. Do I go buy one for $149 or $179? And if I don't like it, I can sell it. You know, this is a, this is a table saw. You're going to live with this decision for a long time. And if you're committed and passionate about the craft, I don't know why everybody's so afraid to recommend to people what to buy. I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'd go with the th- I, I highly recommend a three horsepower. If you're going to get something, get a three horsepower. I still don't think most people need a five horsepower, mm-hmm. but a three horsepower is a good solid motor. It'll get you, it'll allow you to do just about anything you need it to do. Except you guy, you need a five horsepower. Yeah, because it's two <laughs> more than three. Right. Because it exists. <laughs> Correct. Correct. But that's me. Yeah. But like I said, you know, a three horsepower will do you do anything you need it to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, I hope that helps Ben. I bet it does. Mm-hmm. He's going to go buy the three horsepower saw stop just so that you can hate on him. <laughs> I'm, I don't hate on anybody for owning saw stop. No, I'm just uh, repeating what he said in his question uh, there. Okay. So that you won't have a reason to make fun of him. Okay. But he's looking forward to not dying. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You won't die. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, so I believe I have the next, and is it the last question? Yeah, I believe it's the last question. All um, right. This is from Brock. I've seen a few people online build joiner sleds to edge joint and flatten boards. Can I actually get a decent results out of a joiner sled? In most cases, I assume using a joiner sled for processing a large amount of lumber would be a hassle compared to using a floor standing joiner, but... What are the other limitations to using a joiner sled that I'm not considering, Brock? I used to do it quite often when I had a six-inch joiner and wanted to keep my boards wide without having to rip them first, mill them, and then glue them back to get the desired width. The other limitations that you said, I can't think of a single limitation other than, you know, the only downside that I can think of is the time and the material it takes to set up your material to run through the planer. So in other words, you're going to have to have uh, a flat piece of MDF or plywood that's at least the width, maybe a little bit wider, and the length uh, needed for the board that you're running through the planer. And then there's the time involved of setting up each individual board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to shim the board to prevent it from rocking, and then you have to put material around it or a cleat to prevent the board from sliding when you're running it through the planer. I mean, that is the only downside that two downsides that I can think of. Uh, the pros, you know, obviously the pros are of this are you can mill lumber as wide as your planer. So if you have one of those 12 inch lunchbox planers, you can obviously, you know, keep your lumber nice and wide. And the second pro that I could think of is it, sl- it saves floor space and the need for a joiner. Ultimately, yeah. if I had no options whatsoever, I would go with the planer sled and I've used it before with my lunchbox planer. But I would get extremely tired of setting this material up each and every time and would end up buying a joiner because you run one board through, now you got to pop it off. And depending on how you're holding it down, um, you're going to have to potentially, like back in the day when I did it, I would put shims underneath it to prevent it from rocking and then use hot glue to hold the shims down. So I'd have to pop that off, put the next board on, shim it, hot glue it. There's probably easier ways to do this. Um, after a while, that just got got old and I went with... Uh, the combo machine that I have now because I wanted something with wider joining capacity. It works. It works great. Uh, even if you have a six inch or eight inch joiner and you want that really wide piece, you can, you know, build one of these planer sleds and use it. But other than that, I can't think of any other limitations other than just being a lot of effort to get this done. Can uh, either of you guys talk about any limitations on this? No, I, I, th- I think you covered it all. I mean, he put it in here and he said, I assume using a joiner sled for processing a large amount of lumber would be a hassle compared to using a floor standing joiner. I think you answered your own question there, Brock. Yeah. That that is the truth. If you're doing one or two boards using a a joiner sled to do that through your thickness planer, yeah, it's it's a lot of setup and but if you're only doing one or two boards, it's not that big of a deal. 
if you right. got a large amount of lumber to do, you got a hundred board feet to go through that thing. <laughs> oh, man. You're gonna you're gonna be cursing that sled in about an hour. What do you think, we? If he's doing smaller projects, a table here and there, maybe a dining table is maybe the biggest project that he's going to, I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem for him. Yeah, it's going to take more time, but he's really going to learn to appreciate how to identify twists and bows and cups in material. And it's, it's a skill that's going to carry over for when he does get that nice big joiner. You know what I mean? I, th- I think, I think you should, you should use a hand plane, Brock. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Since I, my, I've had my issues with my combo machine and I'm out of service here, I've had so many people say, use the hand plane. I'm like, no way. I'd rather not woodwork. <laughs> I watch people do that. And I'm like, oh, you guys are insane. <laughs> You're just insane. I, and I shouldn't say insane. That's a little harsh. But I, I'm just not that committed. Uh, to me, I'd go take some money out of the bank and just buy a machine. I couldn't do it. But, you know, joiner sled, man. I mean, if you're not doing huge projects, and then, like I said, if the biggest project you've got going on are like tables and things like that, I mean, it's it's worth the investment to just use the joiner sled, time investment. Have any of you guys ever used a joiner sled through your thickness planer? Absolutely. I never have. I've never used I never have. I've seen it done. God, you didn't answer. You You didn't listen to my answer. I opened up with that. Well, I'm, I apologize. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I use it several times. Yeah. It, it works great. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a lot of work. You know, oh, wedges yeah. and hot glue. And- I even explained it in my answer. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. All right. All right. Well, Brock, hope that helps. Let's talk about what we have going on in our shop. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Hopefully we've had some some luck out there. We kick us off and let us know what you've been doing in your shop. I've not done a ton in the shop. I did edit uh, a video recently and I just released uh, you know another one. Oh, well, no, th- it was this past weekend, so it wasn't exactly a whole week ago, but I uh, got that out. And I also did all the joinery for the base assembly I've got uh, of the storage bench that I'm building. Uh, all of the the legs are on a four degree splay, both in, from the front view and the side view. So I got all that joinery done. Now I've got to um, cut the legs down so that I can have that compound angle for each of the legs. And so it'll f- sit flat on the uh, on a table or, or uh, on the floor, excuse me. But good news, my CNC machine is complete and it will be shipping out Next week on Monday, it's getting crated up now. It took like, what, eight months? It took a long time. But, you know, coronavirus kind of slowed a lot of things down in terms of getting supplies and parts and things to build it. So, you know, you had that. But, yeah, it's all done. It's complete. It's it's getting crated up as we speak. And hopefully Monday it'll be getting on to uh, some freight and, uh, and shipped to me. Can't wait. Can't wait. Nice. Guy, what do you got going on in the shop, man? In my own shop, nothing. Uh, at work, let's see. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you what, man. I do so much in the court. Let me give you an example of what I did today. I worked on four different projects today and completed three of them uh, that I had hanging out there. So we had this decorative wall that was made out of white oak and white oak plywood for a a large pharmaceutical company here in town. Uh, I had to do some work on that. I completed that. I completed the making the legs for a large ping pong table we made for another, uh, another pharmaceutical manufacturer that's here in town, which I won't mention. And I worked on some casework for a fraternity that we're going to be doing hopefully like 70 of these. Actually, it's 35, but it's 70 pieces of casework that I'm going to have to make. And then I started working on bases for two farmhouse tables that are like 12 feet long. Dang. This is a typical day for me. So... That's what I've been working on. That's all I can think. I can't think past today. Jeez, man. So, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, working in a production environment's a weird thing, man. But uh, that's that's what I've been doing. That's what I did today, anyways. What about you, Sean? Nothing. Since the last time we met, what have I done out there? Installed some um, extension tables on the bandsaw. That seems to be about the only tool that I've uh, paid attention to. <laughs> that's about it. I'm still waiting on parts. I've, do, you, uh, do you still have a lunchbox planer? No, I sold that years ago. Uh, yep. Man, uh, if I were you, I just I would buy just a cheap lunchbox planer and you could skip claim. You could skip plane boards. You could get to work. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that I can somehow find a part, but I called Jet. They don't even have a date for the back order, so no telling. I've got orders in on a couple websites. And the piece is just too mangled for me to take and and have made it a at a local machine shop. Yeah, you There's, don't know what it originally looked like. Yeah, the, it's just demolished. So <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's either take a loss on the machine, wait it out, or you know, some people have said, you know, look at other manufacturers that make similar machines to the combo machine that I have. I just don't know where to start with that. It's like, yeah. How do I go look at other machines, parts, and say, okay, where's my chain wheel and what size is it to then somehow see if it would fit mine? Right. I don't even know where to start with that. Well, I mean, the Rikon may have a similar part to it. It, it may, but again, how am I going to find the information on? Let me go to their website. They might have a PDF where you can get like an exploded view of the machine. Yeah. Bailey makes a a version of that that looks very similar. True. I mean, I guess at this point, it's just a matter of I'll have to just look and see if they have a chain wheel. And if they do, and a sprocket, bottom sprocket where the teeth are chewed up, that's a specialty sprocket. And just buy it and see if it fits. Because <laughs> I can't, There's they're not going to list specs of that. For those machines look so some Most of the differences between those machines usually have to do with the motor and the uh, speed, the transmission. So that's not a situation that you're dealing with. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean interrupt you, but I'm looking at the schematics for the Rikon on the back, and that chain wheel looks identical. Yep. Dude, well, that might be your answer. They don't have it either. They're going to tell you they're waiting on a slow boat from China. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. And I've been so busy with work, I've not even had time to be really upset. Tune in next week to see if Sean gets his chain wheel fix. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to look at that and see. I'm just going to order one. I don't care. And it looks like the bottom the bottom sprocket is identical as well. So these part numbers are even almost the same, 219. Well, let us know. Yeah. Oh. Tune in next week. Yeah, you guys better stay tuned to find out if Sean gets <laughs> his parts. <laughs> I think that'll do it for this show. Please remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings. And of course, we truly do appreciate the support and feedback. You can reach me at simplecove.com where I've got a contest going on, by the way. And at Simple Cove on Instagram and YouTube. What about you, Hui, where you can be found? Uh, AlabamaWoodworker.com. All the links to my social media and YouTube are on my website. Guy, how about you? Uh, Guyswoodshop.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. We will see you in a couple of weeks. See you guys. See ya. Bye.